thing we pick up kind of where Will left off last week. He read uh, Acts 21, and, and I heard it was a phenomenal message. I'm excited to listen to it. And we pick up this week in Acts chapter 22. Paul has uh, recently made his way into Jerusalem, which is the holy city, the capital city for the Jewish people. And he's made his way there. And pretty early on in his time in Jerusalem, this time around, uh, people start accusing him of all sorts of things. They accuse him of breaking the Jewish law, of being a traitor. And so they basically kind of put him on this public trial where he's having to defend himself in public, kind of like Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Anybody? No? Uh, JK, nothing like that at all, honestly. Nothing like that at all. Uh, but that's where we find ourselves today is Paul on trial and giving his defense in a public assembly. Acts chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, that's because he went from speaking Greek to now speaking their native language, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. In other words, Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel, one of the most famous Jewish teachers of that day, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And as the high priest and all the council, they can testify themselves. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. But about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He's a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, Leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. It's funny, because now he comes back to Jerusalem, and what happens? They do not accept his testimony about him. Verse 19, Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and, and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. But then the Lord said to me, go. I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. You know, I think what Paul is doing here in this text is telling his story. Another way of saying that is telling his testimony, his story about what God has been doing in his life. And it's really interesting because this isn't the first time you guys have heard one of us preach on this story, right? You guys remember we preached on this back in Acts 9 where the story happens. And now Paul is recounting this story. And he's going to do it again in Acts 26. He's going to tell his story a third time. And what's really interesting is that in the book of uh, Acts, written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, this guy seems to think that in 28 chapters, it's worth telling the same story three times in three separate chapters. So for Luke, this story is really important to the story of the Gospel, the story of what God's been up to in his people. And so he tells the story the first time in Acts 9, which is about one-third of the way through the book of Acts. Uh, Then he tells it again in Acts 22 here, which is about three-quarters of the way through the book of Acts. And then he tells it again in Acts chapter 26, which is 90% of the way through the book of Acts. And so Luke seems to be building on this story each time. We're going to talk about that today. But it's a really pivotal point in the story of God's people for Luke. And it's a story where he's storytelling and where Paul is storytelling. And what's really interesting is psychologists and medical doctors today say that there's a, a very strong linkage between storytelling and well-being of all, of all elements, both physical, mental, and emotional well-being. And so it's really interesting. Doctors and psychologists say this. I'm going to give you guys seven uh, reasons why they say storytelling is, is really healthy for you. It's really good for your well-being. Number one, storytelling teaches people, informs people to be active listeners. And you guys ever had a conversation with someone where they're like kind of looking off, you know, they keep like looking around while you're talking to them and just distracts you and you're like, do they care at all? Like what I'm saying, you know, and then you start losing your train of thought because you're like, they're not even paying attention, right? That's not encouraging. That doesn't help us build strong relationships with one another. It doesn't help us develop community or intimacy. But storytelling helps us be attentive listeners. It helps us practice active listening, even like what we're doing in dwelling on the word. So that's number one, active listening. Number two, storytelling fosters our imagination. And the thing about a healthy imagination, when people have no imagination, it's hard for them to imagine themselves in any place where they're not already. I'll say that another way. When people don't have a healthy imagination, it's hard for them to see any new or fresh things coming into their life. It's hard for them to see that God could do anything different with them than what he's already done. What happens when people don't have a healthy imagination is they get stuck, spiritually or just in the secular world, in their job, in their relationships, um, and their well-being decreases because they can't see new paths forward. Storytelling fosters our imaginations, according to psychological studies. Number three, when we connect to characters in a story or people who are telling us their story, What happens is our brain releases a chemical called oxytocin, which is kind of the chemical connected with intimacy. And so what happens when we tell stories is we connect with people and we connect with ourselves. Our brain actually starts firing oxytocin, which gives us intimacy, gives us pleasure. It's actually the pleasure chemical. It's the same chemical that's uh, kind of at work uh, during childbirth when a mother is giving birth to a child that then helps her bond with the new baby and bond with her her partner through the experience it's also the same chemical that the brain fires in healthy safe sexual relationships so you think about a married couple uh, who is 
kind of, you know, I won't go into tons of detail, but that's the, that's the chemical that's firing. And so you have this chemical that fires for pleasure and intimacy that our brain starts firing when we tell stories and when we listen to stories and connect with people. In other words, storytelling fosters intimacy and healthy emotional connections. Uh, number four, storytelling is linked to improving our memories and with improving memory, it also helps you fight against dementia. So specifically in later in life, it's really healthy for people as they age to tell their stories and to listen to others tell their stories. And you can start practicing that now for you 20-somethings or if you're a teenager. Is anybody still a teenager? Are you actually? Oh, yeah, Rafe is, yeah. So Rafe starts t- telling stories now, and prayerfully you won't get any dementia later on. Um, but yeah, and we even get a glimpse of this, maybe uh, why our memory is so important, why telling stories to, to help and benefit our memory is so important. We get a glimpse of this in the famous Jewish Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8, where it talks about you know, our memories being strengthened and formed by our stories with God. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. These commandments that I give you today, let them be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. In other words, Tell your story about your life with me, says God. And we get, we get this passage taken very literally by many people who have um, little plaques on their walls in their homes that say, therefore I know the, pro- the, the uh, plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope into a future. You know what I'm talking about? Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, and uh, you guys probably seen other people have all kinds of like plaques of like little bits of scripture, right? That's a really popular one. And so I want you guys to know the Lord has great plans for you. Number five, storytelling increases a positive approach to one's identity because it shows how you can grow and live from both your successes and your failures. When you tell your stories, like Paul does here, we tell of both the successes in our lives and also the plenty of failures that we have in our lives. And we're able to learn from both and live from both in a healthy way because neither one defines us in and of itself when we tell our stories. And that's how we learn to see our identity, not just through our failures. And if we're really maybe arrogant, not just through our successes. It balances it out. So we're able to actually see ourselves truly and healthily and then move forward. Uh, Number six kind of comes right off of that. Storytelling increases resiliency. There's been a bunch of psychological and medical studies that actually show this, that people who tell their story and listen to others telling stories teaches them to be resilient because it teaches them that they can overcome their past hurts, failures, and heal from past trauma. And so you actually can become a person who is resilient. And that's something where my generation and the generations after me really need. We're, we're statistically measured as the generations with the lowest resiliency in recent history. Number seven, storytelling heals in regards to processing trauma, particularly healing for our mental health. And mental health affects our physical health. You have very visceral uh, symptoms of, of 
emotional and mental instability. And so storytelling actually helps you heal and process past trauma and learn who, who are you going to be moving forward. And so I want to ask you guys this morning, what keeps us from telling our stories? What keeps us from telling our stories? And there's four reasons I can think of. You guys are going to get a lot of just lists of things this morning, by the way. Number one, I think we have a vulnerability deficiency. A vulnerability deficiency where we either don't feel safe enough or confident enough or hopeful enough to speak about our past and current hurts and failures. So we have a vulnerability deficiency. And what happens then is we don't know what the future holds and that's we're fearful of failing again. It's like, well, how can I speak of this? If this is, you know, if this is just going to happen again, how can I speak of this if I'm, if I'm never going to overcome this? So we have a vulnerability deficiency. Number two, I think what keeps us from telling our stories is we don't make space for storytelling and story listening. We aren't practiced in attentive listening. We get easily distracted. We get self-consumed, self-absorbed. I know I can at times. And we aren't practiced at attentive listening or actually asking others about their stories and listening to hear them. You know, sometimes we're okay with telling our story, but we don't always ask others so that we can hear their stories. And then if we do, we don't always really want to like sit and listen and process. And so we like ask, but then we start to tune out. Um, and I think in marriage, you can like that, that comes up really quick. You realize how often you need to like really listen attentively to one another. Number three is I think we have fears of things not changing. Kind of going back to number one. That vulnerability deficiency, I think, comes from a, a fear of no change happening. And so we think, well, maybe we'll just be stuck in this, this shame forever. And I don't want to be judged if I talk about it and then don't change. And number four, I think, again, a lack of resiliency. I think we have a hard time telling our stories because I think we give up on our own stories while we're still in them. We give up on our own stories while we are still in them. You guys have heard of writer's block? Anybody, you guys know what writer's block is when someone's writing and they just get stuck? I think we get vulnerability block. I think we get transformation block. We get healing block where we get stuck in our stories and we feel like nothing's going to change. And so then we just stop telling stories. We're not resilient in them. And I know I feel okay telling my stories if my stories are fully in the past or I've totally recovered, I've healed, I, or, or I've repented. You know, it's all done with. And I can come and present you with all the good facts, all the, the great plans that, that prospered that came out of my past stories, right? And, you know, it's easy for me to talk about like ex-girlfriend stories. You know, I'm like... Years and years ago, like long done with that. I learned a lot, you know. I'm not there anymore. I don't feel triggered by it anymore, right? So it's easy for me to tell those stories. Oh, but Melina and I have a bump. You think I want to come and talk to all of you guys about it? Like, no, especially if we haven't even resolved it yet, you know. Uh, I don't like talking about things I haven't repented from yet. It's much harder to do that. I don't like talking about things I haven't healed from yet. I don't know what to say. The story's unresolved. I think those stories, the ones that aren't finished yet, are so hard for me to talk about. So hard for me to tell. I think my story about life after death, about pregnancy after loss, really hard for me to talk about in depth. Uh, but I remember writing a blog post after uh, Sophia's passing a number of months ago and how healing that process of writing that was for me. 
And uh, it's still hard. It, I don't even like go back and look at it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to read it. But I think that that was a, a healing moment for me. And I need to go after those. But they're hard. I, I, I believe though, at least logically, I believe that sometimes telling our stories when they aren't resolved yet, when they're still unfinished, is actually the most important. And we ask ourselves, but what if my situation doesn't change? What if things don't work out? What if there doesn't seem to be hope? What if I don't change? And I ask you, can you relate to any of those feelings? Do you ever have a hard time being honest with people about what's going on when you're in it? Because you're scared that you won't change or you won't get out of it. Do you have a vulnerability deficiency? Do you have a lack of resiliency and persevering in your story where you're at now? Do you ever try to wait till everything's figured out before you open up about it with other people? And I ask you to think about why is this hard for you? Why is this hard for us? I mentioned earlier that Luke includes Paul's testimony in the book of Acts three times. I think what God is, is teaching us and using Luke to teach us is the importance of telling our stories over and over again. But there's three key elements of Paul's kind of conversion story in the book of Acts, as it's called. There's three key elements that in each retelling of the story by Luke, you get kind of new elements to them or changes to the story. I'm going to tell you guys these three elements. Again, more numbers, right? Number one, the background of Paul's actions previous to his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road change each time. And not his actions don't change, but the telling of his actions, they become more and more raw and they become more and more um, kind of gravely honest. Right? In Acts 9, all the text says that he was breathing out murderous threats to the, about the, the believers. Right? But now in Acts 22, we read that he's traveling to persecute people. That he's trying to imprison people. That he has casted his vote uh, about their death. Right? And then when we come back and we read this story again in Acts 26, we go even, even into more detail. That he's trying to trap people in blasphemy. That he's um, hunting them down to imprison them. That he's beating them. That he's uh, helping people kill them. He gets more and more in depth. And what we start to see is he's more and more honest or at least the, the author of, uh, of Acts is more and more honest about the fullness of Paul's sin. The fullness of Paul's past, his, his previous issues. I think we, what we get to see is the more we talk about ourselves, the more we're vulnerable, the more we see ourselves realistically as we truly are. I think the more humble we can become. Uh, number two is the light that comes on Paul when he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. In Acts 9, it just says a bright light shone around Paul. In Acts 22, it says a bright light from heaven shone above, you know, all the people. But then in Acts 26, uh, let me read it so I don't misquote it. It says, a bright light from heaven blazing like the sun. And it shone around me and my companions. And so the light that comes with Jesus, as the story gets told again and again, gets brighter and brighter. First, it's a bright light. Then it's a bright light shining from heaven. Then it's a bright light brighter than the sun. And what we get to see is as Luke tells the story again, it seems to be climaxing to the light of God is so bright. 
And it comes, it kind of brings us right to our, our third element that grows throughout the story of Acts. Is that, and that's Paul's understanding of his God-given mission and purpose. Then Acts 9, he just says, go over to meet this dude, Ananias, right? Here in Acts 22, he says, go, I'm sending you. And then when there, he kind of has this discussion with Ananias about what God's going to do through him. And then later, Jesus tells him more about his, his purpose, that he's going to send him to the Gentiles. When we get to the third retelling in Acts 26, Jesus, in that moment, tells Paul about the whole mission he has planned for him, and that he's going to go to the Gentiles, that he's appointed and sent for that purpose and that mission. And he's going to go to the Gentiles, and he's going to turn them from the darkness of Satan to the light of the Lord. It's interesting, the light of the Lord, as the story about the light coming on, on, on Paul, gets brighter and brighter. And we get to see that Luke is narrating Paul's life over and over again, and his story gets brighter and brighter, and he understands himself and his mission more and more as time passes. With each, each retelling, Paul starts to begin to understand himself and his mission and his past more. I would venture to say he probably understands his relationship with other disciples better too. He starts telling how the light and the voice impacted his companions, not just him. I think it's really interesting. And so each time Luke tells Paul's story, he's, he's building on something. And I think that the thing he's building on is the question of why or who. You know, Paul keeps asking, who are you, Lord? But I think the underlying question is, and how do I relate to you? Why does that matter? Why are you coming to me? And what ought I to do? And in our stories, I think there's plenty of times where we question why. And we ask God, why would you place me here in the NRV? Why would you send me to D.C.? What are you up to in this? God, why are you allowing me to go through this hardship? God, why would you put me in this relationship? Why would you put me in this situation, in this circumstance? And I think the readers of Acts, the original readers, those of us who aren't really familiar with Paul's story already, the original readers of Acts would probably question why God would pick this crazy, nasty person named Paul as his representative to the Gentiles. He's murderous. When Paul said, I've said this before, when Paul says, I'm the worst of all sinners, we, like, we tell our stories and we're like, oh, I was the worst of all sinners before I met Jesus. No, you weren't. How many Christians did you kill? And maybe somebody out there can tell me that and they're telling the truth. Most of y'all aren't telling the truth when you say that, right? Like, we're not the worst of all sinners. Paul really was. Why would, why would God pick this guy? The original authors are, or the original hearers are, are asking that of the author, but the author seems to be building his case that God has plans for us even when our stories aren't finished yet, even when we've made mistakes and we've messed up. And retelling them lets us know ourselves and God better. And if you're Paul, you're asking the same question, God, why me? I have all the people who are way better than me that you could pick. Why me? But if we're willing to sit in our stories long enough, and stay with God through them. I do believe, at least logically, that God's intentions tend to be revealed. I think God is teaching us in this text to stay with our story and to tell it. Don't give up. Keep telling your story. And you might find out more about yourself, about God, and about what he's doing. 
And so how can we practice telling our stories? Three practices for you guys. Number one, share your testimonies. Share your testimonies again and again and with more and more people. And I say testimonies plural because we all will have many testimonies. Right? We all have many stories that we're witness to about what God is up to in our lives in different seasons. We all have different stories about how we met God, how we decided to be followers of Him and give our lives to Him, and what God is teaching us, what He's exposing in us now, how He got us through different circumstances. And some of your stories you'll need to share over and over again. I think about our stories about how we became a follower of Jesus. Our stories about our baptisms. Those are stories that... We should tell over and over again to more and more people as we meet new people. Let them know how God intervened and met us on our Damascus roads. But then we have the stories about how God got us through that time. And that then we meet other believers who are in a time that maybe it's different, but there's similar elements. And they need to hear you tell your story about how God helped you. And we got to tell those stories over and over again. Think about the stories. For, you, for those of you who've been married for a long time, you've probably told the story about how you met your spouse. Many times, more and more times over the years. And you start to get like kind of those certain details down and you start repeating those certain details. And they, over the years, you tell them a little bit different, you, you know, as you, you know the person longer. Tell those stories. They're encouraging. They give people hope. So the first practice is share your testimonies. Second practice is dwelling in the word like we did today. If we can make a, a semi-regular practice of just dwelling in the word with a friend, over coffee, over a meal, when we're just catching up, getting time, just reading scripture and listening to God and one another. I think it'll practice, it'll be practice for us to be attentive listeners to both the Holy Spirit and to each other, and it'll build resiliency and intimacy in our community. The third practice is just attentive listening. And how you can put attentive listening into practice is this week, ask someone to share a story with you. Ask someone to share one of their stories with you. And just listen with ears that hear. Ask questions if you need to, to hear more, to, to clarify. But practice asking other people their stories and just listening without having to speak about yourself. And you'll be so surprised on how it helps your relationships and builds one another up. And as we tell our stories, we just might find that God's light becomes brighter and brighter in our life. We just might discover that more and more people are impacted by God through us. And we just might find ourselves in the midst of God's story. We're about to take communion. As we take communion, let's remember Jesus' words that I'm going to slightly adapt. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, for your story. Do this in remembrance of me and my story. This is my blood poured out for your story. In doing this, remember my story. And these are Jesus' words, I believe. Why? Because we are his stories. He loves us. We are our stories. We aren't just biological creatures. We are people who are enmeshed in our interactive lives. And Jesus cares about our stories because we matter to him. He died and rose so that our stories could become part of his story. So let's be a people of Jesus' story here in the NRV our heads. I'll, I'll pray and then let's take communion before one final song.